My name is Max Bacalli, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, David Nash. David, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Max. It's uh, Saturday morning here, and uh, just when we think there won't be any Suns news to talk about, something always pops up. Yeah, even on a random Friday afternoon in Phoenix, something something can happen for the Suns, which we'll get to in just a second. But first, I thought I'd introduce what we're going to do today, and not just today, but for the next five or so weeks. We're going to start a position pod series, David. We are. We are, I guess, just as I touched on, the news is going to dry up uh, if it hasn't already. And we've decided to go a little bit more in depth on the whole roster, I suppose, breaking it up, as you said, as a episode per position. Yep. And we're going to have a lot of great guests for this series. We're really excited about it. Uh, Today, though, it's just us. We're starting with, I think, maybe the most controversial of the position bots. We're going to start with small forward. And I'll tell you, Dave, I don't know if you agree with this or not, but I think this is going to be the one where you and I argue the most. Yeah, we obviously chat privately uh, quite a lot on text and things uh, outside of the pod, and I, I definitely think it's not a stretch to say that we disagree the most uh, on this position and, and what the Suns should do this season. Okay, before we get into that, though, we mentioned there's some Suns news today, and there's also some other news we want to get to, and people seem to like our rapid-fire news segment last week, so we're going to do it just like that. Let's start with the one that happened today that you referenced earlier, David. The Suns, as reported by our friend Evan Sidery, they signed Isaiah Cannon. They did sign Isaiah Cannon. Uh, I was a little bit surprised by this, mainly because I, I did think it was actually something that was going to happen a couple of months ago, and then I, I, to be perfectly honest, just forgot about Cannon a little bit. Um, I did think that the Suns might come and give Cannon an opportunity to, to rehab himself and, and get back on an NBA roster, and uh, here it is. Uh, I'm glad that Evan reported uh, in a follow-up that it was a non-guaranteed deal and he'll be fighting for his spot in training camp and uh, that brings the roster to 18 players I believe for training camp so the Suns could potentially add a couple more and give Igor some pieces to to battle out some of these position battles uh, off the bench maybe so yeah interesting interesting thoughts but what about pre-season that also came up since we last recorded Max uh, any any thoughts on the on the five games that the Suns have got locked in there I'm excited for the New Zealand game because it's always fun to watch the uh, watch the Suns beat up on some foreign team the game against Brisbane last year was uh, the one Suns good win for the preseason and and probably should have been a reason why we noticed that the season was going to start off pretty badly for the Suns. Yeah, that's a good point. I was actually at that game. That was fun because it was just so clear that Devin Booker was just infinitely better than everybody on the other team. <laughs> but uh, as our good buddy Chris Koffel on Twitter uh, noticed, that the Suns like to play Portland, it seems, in preseason. They do. They do it a lot. And uh, actually, I think I'm going to go to that Portland game on the on the Friday night. I think it might be the 5th of October. So 
If any listeners are there, come meet up. We'll say hi. Uh, let's move on, though. So th- another thing that happened, this, this Shaq Harrison 50K guarantee. You want to talk about that? Yeah, so August 1st, he was uh, owed $50,000 as, as part of his first guarantee. And uh, the only other thing I'd touch on there is, um, you know, I think back when Reed was guaranteed, it was kind of misreported a little bit that, that Shaq was uh, guaranteed to be on the team. I think the Suns had made the decision to keep Shaq around, but he's actually not officially fully guaranteed until the last date possible, which is January 10. So uh, I expect Shaq to start the season with the Suns, but they definitely still have some flexibility there with his roster spot and his salary. What about Devin Booker, Max? Uh, I think since we last recorded, there was uh, lots of clips about uh, Devin with Team USA. I'm wondering how many people, uh, when they when you started talking about Devin Booker, thought you were going to refer to the Drake lyrics. <laughs> that is, that's another interesting thing that happened, but uh, not something I'm I'm terribly interested in, if I'm honest. Yeah, it's not a bit. It's not. It doesn't mean anything, but it's kind of cool to have your uh, have your players shadowed out by you know a rap superstar. But uh, yeah, Booker on Team USA at the, at the mini camp. That's great. I mean, obviously, it's good to have him. You know, get that experience with those guys. I think it's probably unrealistic to, that he would make the the 2020 Olympic team. I mean, obviously, if he if he breaks out as a superstar, it's possible. But yeah, there's there's a lot of guys in line in front of him. But I but I would guess that he's maybe among the favorites for the 2024 Olympic team. Last piece of news here. This isn't Suns related, David, but uh, LeBron opened a school. He did. It was probably the biggest news of the NBA in the last week or so, and uh, I thought worthy of touching on because. Uh, no matter what you think about LeBron as the player, uh, I absolutely love him as a player, so there's there's no qualms with me there, but uh, you definitely can't doubt LeBron the person, and uh, it's a pretty incredible story for someone to, to go to the lengths that he's going to here with opening this school, so very cool thing to see in the NBA offseason, that's for sure. I understand that people were bent out of shape over LeBron in 2010 when he made that decision, because you know, that, that was back on the back when we thought that athletes and teams were loyal to each other which since yep. has been proven wrong again and again. But at this point, you know, eight years later, with all the great things LeBron has done on and off the court, it, it's really hard for me to see why anybody would dislike him anymore. You just can't, Max. Uh, anyone who does, uh, yeah, clearly clearly isn't interested in liking LeBron at all. All right, David, I think that's it for news. But before we go on to the small forwards, let's do, uh, let's do Did You Know? Yeah, so Max, did you know that since its inception in 1982, the Phoenix Suns have won the Sixth Man of the Year Award the most times of any team? Any guesses on how many times out of 36 possibilities that the Suns have won the award? I'm going to say the other teams have won it 30 times. We've won it six. A little less than that. We've won it four, uh, mm. which was, was surprising that that's the most, but I guess out of 36 in a in a 30-team competition, that's not too bad. Uh, but Max, I'm going to put you on the spot here, as I like to do. How many of the four can you name? Barbosa. That's one. Um, man, did Elliot Perry win one? He did not. He didn't. I think I, I think I overwrite him because I liked him so much as a kid, and I liked his socks. <laughs> uh, man, I, I'm drawing a blank right now. I'll put you out of your misery. Uh, Danny Manning won it in '98. Okay. But of course, the real reason we're talking about it for this episode is two small forwards have also won it in Eddie Johnson in 1989 and Rodney Rogers in 2000. Mm, okay. In the 88-89 season, Johnson came off the bench 63 of a possible 70 games. He averaged 21.5 points, 4.4 rebounds, 2.3 assists. He also shot 49.7% from the field and hit one three a game at 41.3%. Uh, 
Johnson beat out Thurl Bailey from the Jazz and won Dennis Rodman from the Pistons for the trophy. Phoenix happened to also win the most improved that year with Kevin Johnson, whilst uh, Kevin and Tom Chambers finished 8th and 9th in MVP voting. The Suns won 55 games that season, but ended up getting swept by the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. On to Rodney Rogers' season in 99-2000, Rogers blitzed the field with 104 first-place votes. The next best was Catino Mobley of the Rockets with just seven, and ex-Suns Cedric Sabalas with four for the Mavs. Rogers thoroughly deserved it though, with a season comprising of just seven starts in all 82 games played, and stats of 13.8 points, 5.5 rebounds, 2.1 assists, 1.1 steals, and 1.4 threes on 43.9 shooting from deep. The Suns won 53 games and fell to the Lakers again, this time 4-1 in the Western Semis. Now, Johnson and Rogers spent four and three seasons with the Suns, respectively, before being traded away. You know, I like to look at trades for the Suns, Max. So Johnson didn't get the Suns anything of note, but Rogers was actually in the trade that brought in another small forward in 2001. Any ideas who that might have been, Max? Oh, jeez. Um, no, but in, in lieu of that, I just want to say very quickly that I think Eddie Johnson's a fun announcer. I like listening to him, and he gets undeserved hate. But go on. Good point, good point. It was Joe Johnson this time. The oh, Suns okay. dealt... Rogers and Tony Delk for Johnson, Randy Brown, Milt Palacio, and a 2002 first, which later Tony, became... Tony, 50 points, Delk. <laughs> the first later became Casey Jacobson. Max, the current Suns also have another current link to the six-man award, but I won't put you on the spot with that one. It is assistant coach Corliss Williamson. He took home the award in 02 with the Pistons. He had 13.6 points, 4.1 boards, and 1.2 assists, and shot 51% from the field, claiming the prize from Bobby Jackson of Sacramento, and yet another son, Quinton Richardson, who was with LAC at the time. Williamson, of course, went on to win a title in 04 with the Pistons, with none other than our new head coach, Igor Kokoskov, as the assistant coach that time around. Max, perhaps the big nasty as they call him, plus Coach Igor can put be perfect mentors to teach this team about sacrificing in your role and coming off the bench for the better of the team. I'll end it on that, which seems a nice way to move on to our discussion surrounding the small forward position for the 18-19 season. That is about as perfect as a segue as you can get, because this conversation is going to be focused pretty closely on who's going to fill what role, right? Because there's a big question here of who's going to start at small forward and who is going to come off the bench. Uh, just to real quickly go over the roster changes. So we had we had Daniel House last year. He's gone. We had Derek Jones Jr. last year. He's gone. We added Mikel Bridges. Uh, we also added Trevor Ariza, but we're going to not talk about him too much because we're going to consider him as one of the power forwards. Okay, and then we also have Davon Reed. I think we're going to consider him more among the shooting guards than the small forwards. He'll come up a little more in our shooting guard episode for sure. Okay, cool. All right, so yeah, we're going to talk about primarily Mikel Bridges, Josh Jackson, TJ Warren. We're going to talk about who we think is going to start. We're going to talk about who we want to start. And David, do you want to do you want to start us off here because you're going to write an article about this, so you might you might have the first uh, the first word on it. Yeah, I've been working on something that uh, 
will hopefully be out around the time that listeners are, are listening to this pod. So that'll be a, a cool context for them to, to get some deeper thoughts maybe on what I'm thinking and, and maybe some video. I will state my intentions early, Max, and say that I think and I also believe that TJ Warren will start for the Phoenix Suns to start the next season. I'm just going to let you talk because uh, I, I just vehemently disagree with both of those things. <laughs> so I'll quickly lay it out. Uh, but I think TJ is... You know, a little unheralded as a starter, and uh, I put out a poll very uh, recently kind of gauging what the Suns fan base felt about TJ as a starter, which I suspected would go this way, but about 70% of Suns fans voted for TJ to come off the bench to start the season. I don't disagree uh, moving forward. I've kind of long discussed TJ as being, you know, if he remains on the Suns, kind of a, a really dynamic sixth man on a, a contending team. But this isn't a contending team, Max, and I think we need to uh, surround Devin Booker with as much talent as possible. Uh, and I think those two actually work quite well together. The numbers certainly support that from last year. So uh, I'm keeping TJ in the starting lineup uh, purely from a, a talent base perspective. You know, match the Suns' intentions of, of being the most improved team this season. Uh, I think you have to have TJ uh, in the starting role, particularly because I, I don't uh, support you know, Josh Jackson uh, in particular is necessarily beating down the door to to make a change there. Here's my thing on TJ Warren, and it's it's been my thing, and it will continue being my thing going forward, I think. He is, he has an unreal ability to score around the basket. He has incredible touch. He's just really just an unbelievable finisher. Uh, I actually, for once, have basketball reference pages in front of me. I'm actually doing homework for once. The guy, <laughs> the guy shot... For his career, he shot 70% from zero to three feet, which is which really, really good, particularly given that he doesn't really like, you know, he has athletic finishes. He has these crazy finishes off the glass. He's just unreal at that. Yeah, he's he's a great finisher around the basket and, uh, you know, a noted strength of his extends out a little bit further to, to the mid-range. It's uh, it's the longer stuff that, that causes him problems. Man. Yes, it is. Uh, he is a woefully bad three-point shooter, and he's really only just gotten worse. Uh, he had that one season, 2015-16, where he shot 40% on a, on a pretty small number of attempts. But otherwise, he's been atrocious, and he's a career 28% three-point shooter. I, I think it's hard to have a lot of hope that he'll get better there. Same goes with his defense. His defense has really never been good. Um, a lot of people don't trust advanced stats, but the advanced stats have always been terrible. The eye test isn't much better. He just... I don't know what it is about him. He, I think it might be a focus issue on defense. He, he doesn't really. He's not limited size wise, really. He just he just doesn't play defense. Yeah, and, and defense is a is a pretty hard thing to judge, and in particular, a very hard thing to judge on recent Suns teams. You know, we've had this discussion about Devin Booker and, and a few other Suns in the last couple of seasons, where eye test and stats wise, things don't look great. But no one's really looked great on that end of the floor for the Suns, uh, except for. Guys that, you know, just go out and, and put all their effort into the defensive end. Think Shaq Harrison at Summer League, for example. But yeah, we, we haven't seen great signs from TJ on the defensive end uh, in the last couple of seasons, which is probably my biggest concern in terms of putting him in that starting small forward position. But again, um, the positives that you're getting out of him being in there on offense uh, far outweigh the current negatives uh, on the defensive end. Oh, I'm, I'm not even close to getting through his negatives. Next, let's go to uh, his playmaking, which is maybe he might be the worst 
passing forward in the entire NBA. He's in the he's in the short list discussion for that. His, his assist totals have been he's like around like two assists per per hundred possessions pretty consistently, which is god awful. You could I mean you just have to watch him play. He has tunnel vision. He doesn't look for anybody ever when he's on the court. It just it's not something that interests him. He really just goes to the basket both in the half court and in transition. And you know, listen, not everyone has to be a passer, but if you have just literally no ability to do it, that that's a problem. So when you have a player like T.J. Warren, who he's an you know a D minus or an F in categories, the three categories I just mentioned: three point shooting, defense, and playmaking. It's just it's really hard for him to be on the court unless he's scoring a lot, right? Unless he's like your primary or secondary option, I would say. Yep. And. Is, do we really want T.J. Warren to be our, our number one option? He's definitely not with Devin Booker. I think we want Aiton to get a lion's share of the of the offense. We're going to have Brandon Knight, who's obviously a guy who's typically been high usage in his career. It just, it's just to me, I think when I'm trying to build a starting lineup, the idea I have in mind is when I, I, I want to maximize Devin Booker first and maximize DeAndre Aiton second. And I, re- I just don't see why T.J. Warren maximizes those guys. Uh, I definitely agree with you long term I think in terms of building out a starting five that's that's ready to contend in the NBA I, I, I can't as I touched on before I can't see TJ being part of that um, but just from what the alternatives are at the moment um, and I, I still rate very highly what TJ does well uh, I'd prefer to see him in the starting lineup at the moment just because you know I, I don't really like the alternative of starting Josh Jackson for instance um, I think a lot of the same problems are going to come to the fore. And I think, you know, to touch on the negatives that you spoke about with TJ, there's there's no denying, you know, the bad three-point shot. Uh, I am hearing that he's been working on it over the offseason, as everybody does. But, you know, let's say he comes back with that not being all that much improved. Maybe a little bit better from the corners would be great. But, you know, I kind of see Igor doing something interesting with TJ in terms of starting him and uh, him being a small forward wing in terms of running the fast break and kind of pushing the pace. Chris Hansen on Twitter tweeted out this week that, you know, he's uh, right up there with kind of fast break points in the entire NBA. So I think that's one reason that you would kind of start him and and try and get both Devin Booker and TJ some quick buckets, uh, both of which were in that uh, leaderboard that Chris uh, posted. And then when you get into the half court, I would actually use him as a four um, and I would put uh, Ariza out as the wing uh, stretching the floor. So it allows you to still have enough shooting on the court and, you know, play TJ kind of on the short roll uh, and use him with Aiton a little bit. This is where I think we disagree mainly in terms of why you would have Warren out there. Um, I think having him out there could actually be a huge benefit to both Devin Booker and DeAndre Aiton in terms of having a guy out there who is dangerous around the mid-range. Uh, and creates a little bit more space for both of those guys. How does he create space, though? It, no one guards him out, out deep. So if you play him as like a short roll four, that's a you know, and with how effective he is finishing around the bucket, uh, you know, I've already touched on Aiton's gravity. It's kind of a, a choice then that the defense has to make when the ball enters the paint. And as you've noted, he's not a great passer, but I'm sure we could, uh, you know, get him to make reads to 
throw lobs to Aiton if the defense kind of shifts over to TJ I'll believe Warren. it when I see it. Interestingly, one thing that I didn't expect to see is that Devin Booker's usage doesn't change with TJ Warren on the floor. He's not a great assist guy, as you said, but he's also uh, a very, very low turnover guy for that reason. And I think there's some interesting things we can do to just get him finishing off plays. Um, you know, I'm a big Igor guy, and I think... You know, for a guy like TJ who's not a natural passer, I think we can, you know, put him in some sets that makes the, you know, the action and the reads very easy for him. You know, maybe you don't use his passing ability, but, you know, it's been touched on already a lot this summer with how much misdirection that Igor uses. So you could kind of have TJ getting unofficial assists, if we want to call it that, in terms of running action um, that creates space uh, without the ball in his hands. If, if TJ Warren starts... Who's going to score on the bench? Are we just going to have Josh Jackson do his summer league thing where he just you know drives the rim recklessly every single time? The way to develop Josh Jackson at this point is to have him be a, a third or a fourth option, have him play like you know around Devin Booker and and DeAndre Ayton, and let him find his game sort of the, the game the game that he had at Kansas where he was the third playmaker on the floor. And you know obviously Josh is not a great shooter yet, but he, I think, has more potential there than T.J. Warren does because we have a much larger sample of T.J. Warren being bad at it. And, and again, going back to the bench, like I, I think that unit's going to need someone like T.J. Warren. It's going to need someone who can volume score at a semi-efficient level, which is what T.J. Warren does. Because that's the thing about T.J. Warren, too, is like if he were just this incredibly efficient scorer who, you know, he was in somewhere around like 58% true shooting, high effective field goal, I, I, I would I would get it much more. He's really not, though. He, he's right around league average or, or a, little, a little worse than that. He just, you know, he, he's, he's, his volume's good, so that's nice, but it's just he doesn't do anything really well and particularly not the things that I want as a, as a, as a person who's playing with Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton, who I want those guys to, you know, just have the most space possible and the most defensive, you know, help around them as possible. Yeah, I definitely think it's a good point, Max, in terms of the bench and and how starting TJ affects that because you kind of, you know, move to having a lot of young guys um, essentially running the second unit. So, you know, I I definitely don't have all the answers here. Uh, I have an opinion on what I think the Suns will do. And I, I definitely think that it makes more sense to start TJ right now. Um, but I definitely don't have the answers and, and we might get into that in later episodes in terms of uh, what it then means for certain positions um, in the bench unit. But uh, I think to touch on that real quick, you know, I, I like Josh in the second unit, uh, I guess similarly in a, in a role that uh, you would hope to get out of TJ. I definitely think that TJ would probably play it better. Um, but I just think overall, you know, holistically, I I, I still prefer TJ uh, in the starting lineup. And then, you know, Igor's a great coach. Maybe he'll stagger some things and, and work out the best ways to have the best lineups out there with a nice balance of, um, you know, scoring options and things. But, you know, I guess just to I, sum it all up from, you know, I don't totally disagree with you on this. I want to make that very clear. You know, my opinion on what the Suns should do with TJ to start this season versus you know, my opinion on what the Suns should do going forward when trying to build a, uh, you know, contending playoff team uh, are, are very two different things. So, David, what if I told you that the future could be now? Uh, I'm, I'm all ears, Max. This, this conversation's been very focused as a, as a TJ versus Josh Jackson conversation. Are we so sure Mikel Bridges isn't the best option to start at small forward right now? 
again, I guess touching on what I just did, I think I couldn't see the Suns starting him this season straight Why away. Why not though? Why not? Uh, just, you know, he's a rookie, plain and simple. This this team has real aspirations to compete from the get-go. Um, I, I don't think they're under any illusions that they're going to be a playoff team or anything like that. But, you know, McDonough said it. They want to be the most improved team in the NBA. Hold on, though. Hold on, though. Hold on, though. You, you say, you, you admit clearly that you think that the most important thing going forward is for Aiton and Booker to be surrounded by defense and shooting. Is that right? I Yeah, I do agree with that going is there forward. Any, is there any... Any chance in the world that that Josh X and TJ Warren are better than Mikhail Bridges at those things right now? Uh, those two things? No, probably not. So if those are the two most important things, I, I feel like if he's already better at those things than, than they are. I mean, Mikhail Bridges is not 19 years old. He's what is he? 22? Like he's not. He's uh, he's still a rookie, but he's an older rookie and one who's who's had a lot of experience playing in big games against the best competition in college basketball, which is obviously not NBA competition, but. It doesn't mean he can't shoot, and it doesn't mean that he can't be smart on defense. Like I mean, yeah, he's not big enough yet. He'll get pushed around a little bit, but even if he get, is a rookie on defense, gets pushed around, he's not he's not ready yet, uh, like totally physically. He's still going to be better, I think, than both TJ and Josh, and he's definitely going to be a better shooter than them. So to me, it's like sure he's a rookie, but like he's still better than those guys at the role we want him to play. Do you understand kind of what I mean? I I totally understand what you mean, Max, and and again, I I definitely don't disagree with you. The problem for me, and I don't want this to come across as a, as a cop-out, but that would mean starting two rookies, a point guard coming off an ACL injury, and a newly signed free agent plus Devin Booker. And I just don't see the Suns doing that with everything that they've stated so far this offseason. So that's why I rule out Bridges. Uh, it's not disagreeing with any, any of your arguments because I think you make a hell of a lot of sense. And just to, to bring TJ back into the conversation, I suppose it's you know it's why I keep coming back to him. He's kind of the most experienced, probably for now most effective player to start at that position uh, in terms of just rolling out a lineup that can compete from game one. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I don't think that Mikel Bridges is, is going to start. I don't, certainly not to start the season. He may be starting later if he, if he shows that he just needs to start. But yeah, I think the decision is going to be in reality between Josh and TJ. And if, if, if I'm going to move on to what I think is going to happen now, I think they're just gonna, they're going to start Josh Jackson. And the reason why I think they're going to do that is because, I mean, we all know TJ is not as big of a part of the future of this team as Josh Jackson is. Josh Jackson had that huge second half last season. I think that both the team and the fan base sort of feels some momentum with Josh Jackson, even though his you know, his summer league was definitely a speed bump in that momentum. And I, I think they're going to want to not take him from that starting role where he was, honestly, he was the first option and kind of the star of the, of the horrible tanking Suns down the stretch. And I, I think it's hard for me to see them relegating him to a bench role after all of that. Yeah, and I think, you know, as you clearly say, that's the other option here. The Macau stuff is is definitely an interesting point um, for future going forward. Um, but right now, it definitely seems to be a TJ versus JJ discussion. You know, maybe if the start of the season doesn't go all that well, we'll be having a pod where we discuss, you know, should it be time for them to, uh, you know, pull the trigger and, and start Macau Bridges to get some development in that role for him in the last say 20 games of the season because we have nothing to lose but mm-hmm. uh, in terms of game one and you know trying to start the season on a positive note I think it's definitely TJ versus versus Josh 
And I think, you know, it will be hard, as you say, to go from that kind of primary option without Devin Booker to, to end the year to saying, you know, pulling Josh aside and saying, you know, you're back to the bench. But there were some encouraging signs uh, for Josh in that role towards the end of the year without Devin Booker. And, you know, it, it kind of got me thinking that maybe, you know, at least in the short term, he's he's better off with a role with the, the ball in his hands a little bit more. And another reason why I kind of struggle to see him in a team with, you know, Brandon Knight, say, running the point and, and a lot of uh, usage going through Devin Booker. It's kind of, you know, unless you can get Josh to really buy into just being that defensive option in the starting lineup, um, I'm not sure we get a, a hell of a lot of development out of him to start the season. A lot of it's going to depend on how well he's shooting, right? Because if he, if he can shoot, if he's above 30%, and he can be, do the whole 3 and D thing reasonably well, it's a lot more viable. It's going to be really tough if he's shooting 25% again. Yeah, and, and it was, you know, the reason why it was really tough to see that summer league, um, we, you know, we might be having a completely different discussion if a lot of those buckets went in. Um, right. Which is, you know, why we shouldn't overreact um, to good or bad in summer league, I think, because... It was three games. It was three games. It was probably, I think, uh, fairly by Suns fans judged mainly more to do with shot selection and things mm-hmm. rather than the buckets just going in or out to touch on something that you know you and I have spoken on quite a bit and certainly something that will come up in our uh, point guard specific uh, position episode uh, later in this series you know I'm excited for the fact that two guys and you know you can add bridges to that even are going to go into training camp and battle it out for this position and it's certainly not just going to be uh, given to a guy because of his um, salary, for instance, in, in mm-hmm. someone like TJ Warren, or given to a guy like Josh purely because of where he was uh, drafted. I think Igor's definitely the the kind of coach that'll roll the ball out and uh, you know let him let him fight it out. Yep, that's a nice team wide thing that it's going to occur this year that I think a lot of Suns fans have been calling for for a while after Bender and Chris were sort of you know given entitled to minutes. But so isn't that an argument? So so, may, are we understating the chances that Igor rolls the ball out in training camp and in preseason, and it just Mikel just shows that he obviously earns the job? Because I think you and I probably would both agree that neither Josh nor TJ has like demonstrated clearly that they deserve to start in the, in their time because TJ has been a neutral or negative player the entire time he's been a son, and Josh was. I mean, he came on towards the end, but he still finishes one of the one of the worst players in the league last year. So neither one's anchored in a spot, in my opinion. So isn't there a chance that Mikel Bridges just he just he just deserves it? It's an it's an interesting point, and, and you know I'm not gonna you know make a statement like fighting out battles for training camp and then totally just you know rule Bridges out from from winning that that spot. Uh, I think it's an interesting thing. You know, I'm always really interested in the front office coach dynamics here with these types of decisions. McDonough has clearly paid his hand in the trade that he made for Bridges. You know, you give up that much for a guy like Mikhail at uh, pick ten, and that's kind of stating your intentions with the type of player that you think he is and what he can be going forward. So, you know, if Bridges has an amazing training camp. You can be pretty sure that the front office will be kind of whispering in Igor's ear. You well, know. that's tough though, right? Because I, while I agree with you on that, because they obviously have that tie to Bikel, they have equal or or greater ties to the other two guys too. Because they took Josh fourth overall, that was their prize in 2017, and TJ they gave that 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 pretty sizable extension to. 
you know, this is probably another thing and, and maybe an, another nice segue in terms of not getting bogged down into the uh, positional stuff with these guys and, and with even starting positions and things. Because I think, you know, one thing I'm pretty confident of is, is Igor's going to, you know, play the guys that deserve to be played probably, you know, almost irregardless of position as well and just throw guys out there that are giving him what he needs. And that's probably just going to be more from an overall talent competing every night, doing what he's asking standpoint versus, hey, what position do you play? Do I need someone at that position to throw out there? So, you know, I I certainly wouldn't rule out two of the three or sometimes maybe even three of the three all playing uh, on the floor together in in some uh, funky way for Igor as well. Yeah, that that's a really good point. I, 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 one prediction I would make, I think that we're probably going to get a quote along these lines from either or both of Igor or McD. It's going to be something along the lines of, like, we don't really care who starts. Like, this team's going to be morphing around so much that who starts is just, like, the first iteration of our team, and it's just going to be constantly varying and changing throughout the game, and then whoever's playing the best will will finish the game. Something like that's going to be said by one or, one or both of those guys. Yeah, I think Igor will definitely say it. Um, Mick D's always, you know, pretty good for a quote like that as well. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I think you're right there. I think we will hear something like that at, at some point. Uh, I, I do share your optimism that that Igor, like he will do with every player, he will he will find something new and interesting for TJ to do. That will that will be something that probably will surprise us a little bit, and it will just be a matter of whether TJ takes to it. So, I, so I, and I guess it kind of goes to the, maybe the point we'll round this up on, and that's that I think we wanted to talk a little bit about how how versatile we think that this team is going to be. Like we, we, I think we both see a lot of Ariza at the three. I, there might be times where Davon reads at the three. I don't even know. I just think they're going to try a lot of different things with this team. Yeah, I think it's why the Ariza signing is so crucial because he kind of unlocks a lot of that stuff and, um, and gives Igor these options. I think on defense, you know, and, and when we talk about positions here, um, we're really probably talking about it more from a defensive standpoint. And Ariza's the guy that I see guarding most fours in the starting lineup if we're kind of slotting him in as the starting power forward, just his length and, you know, his history. And, um, you know, if you look at all the Rockets' most effective, most used lineups last year and, and in the playoffs when it really mattered, it was kind of Ariza and Tucker tied to each other and... Um, you know, those two kind of just flipped between the more, um, you know, appropriate defensive assignment for either one. And that's kind of what I see with, with TJ and Ariza in the starting lineup. Obviously, TJ's nowhere near the defender that, that Tucker was. But in terms of matching him up on guys, uh, I think you'll, you'll see Ariza on the four a lot to use his length. Um, and then, you know, they might switch around a little bit if TJ's got a, a better matchup there. But then, you know, switching to offense, I think... Eagle's going to want to play really fast, and that's where I see TJ kind of using what he's shown in the NBA so far as, you know, a fast break finisher, really good finisher, um, you know, piling on the points with Devin Booker from that standpoint. Um, and then when it gets bogged down into the to the half court and you're trying to use, you know, a guy like Aiton and, and the gravity that he possesses, that's where I kind of see Ariza slotting in as the three uh, in offensive sets and using his kind of floor spacing and making sure we have a you know just enough shooting around Devin Booker and you know that's where TJ then really slots into that small ball four role that um, I'm talking about and as I said my my article will hopefully have some some clips that can illustrate that a little bit more and yeah I mean I don't want to keep relitigating the the TJ Warren thing but 
think I value the space that the mid-range TJ Warren threat gives as much as you do. First of all, the reason why it's called space is because, you know, you want to create more of it and just, you know, if you're in the mid-range, you're not creating as much as someone who's, you know, way outside. Also, you know, it's the, it's not worth as many points. So if, if the space is not respected and the ball goes to TJ Warren and he shoots, you know, a 15-footer, it's not worth as much as if the ball goes to a reason and he shoots a 24-footer. I just I'm looking forward to your article because I want to see a little more clearly kind of what you're what you're conceptualizing here. I'm just having a really hard time conceptualizing this this world where Booker and Aiton are going to be running the pick and roll, whatever action they're running on one side of the court, and then this just this threat of T.J. Warren on the other side of the court is going to be something that the the, the opposing defense is just going to have to be freaking out about or, or or pay attention to enough to allow you know either Booker or Aiton. To, to operate on the other side. Whereas, you know, I just see, it's just so much more kind of clear and obvious in my mind that if you have Ariza and and uh, Mikel Bridges out there, you know, on opposite sides of the court, it's just, it's just, it's just so obvious to me that the players are going to have to respect both those guys. And it's just going to give Aiton and, and Booker so much room. I will hopefully get the article out relatively soon that will kind of illustrate things a little bit more. But to, to sum it up from that perspective... Um, and and kind of agree with what you're saying as well as trying to you know justify what I'm saying here with TJ is there's a, a clip from Igor that I'll share which you know essentially notes that front offices these days are all about the three point shot uh, the free throw line and uh, buckets at the rim and I think what you and I are both saying is trying to create offenses that fit in with that and that you know, optimize that as much as possible. Just where we differ is I believe that that can be really optimized with this current roster uh, by using TJ's uh, current NBA skills a little bit more uh, versus, I guess, taking the risk of uh, starting, say, a Bridges or a Josh Jackson. Yeah, and I think that's fair. And I think that 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 especially holds water for, like, the first month of the season, right? Because when you, when you first start out, you kind of want... You want, you want things to be stable. I, I think last season we saw what happens when you have a team start that's not stable. <laughs> exactly. Quite the opposite. And uh, you, so you, I understand what you mean. Like if, if, if Mikel Bridges starts and, you know, he's great in preseason training camp, but game one, it's the NBA, it's a brand new thing, he's just deer in the headlights, like that could kind of derail you. So I, I see your point that, like, you know, T.J. Warren is not going to be deer in the headlights. He's played, you know, whatever, 150 NBA games or however many NBA games he's played. He's not going to be freaking out. So I get it from that perspective. And if it were like anybody else, I think I might agree with you. If it were any other small forward who just had one of the skills of shooting defense or passing that I value so much and someone with Aiton and Booker, I think I'd be there. It's just that TJ is, is so devoid of all of those things. It just it makes it really hard for me to get excited about him starting. Yeah, and I, I can totally understand that. I think Igor can do some things that uh, limits the damage uh, of TJ's negatives, um, you know, I've tried to explain that a little bit on this episode, and hopefully the listeners kind of understand that. Uh, hopefully, my article will, you know, extend on that a little bit more with some visuals and things. But touching on your point in terms of, you know, going in with a a solid group of starters rather than taking risks, I would kind of use Igor's team last year as an example with Utah. I think, um, you know, I was looking at their roster last off season and kind of going, do you play uh, favors as the you know, as the backup five and, and do some interesting things to create more space because they had problems with shooting with guys like Ricky Rubio and, and things starting. And, you know, I was thinking, do you start Ingles and Crowder together as the two wings, for instance, and kind of try and optimize the spacing a little bit more? Um, they didn't. They went with Favors as the starting four. 
Um, and then they kind of staggered some things after that. And, you know, favors didn't finish sometimes. They had some injuries with Gobert and, and things changed. But, you know, I, I kind of really look at them as a nice example here. Again, favors and, and TJ Warren are, are very different players. But it is a nice example where you kind of have that in theory uh, discussion around, you know, where's the spacing by having favors and Gobert on the court together uh, versus what the Jazz um, actually did. And, and did quite effectively um, with some interesting, you know, kind of roles for everyone on the court. Yeah, and, and fair, but I would point out that the Jazz, first of all, aren't good because of their offense. They're, they're good because of their defense. Their offense is fine. And also, Derek Favors, while you're right that he's, you know, he's not facing the floor or anything, he's also, you know, he's, he's playing defense and he's next to Gobert. So there are other factors at play there. But, I mean, you're right, and I think that, the overall point here is just that Igor Kokoskov is gonna is gonna figure things out to a to a much better degree than any coach the Suns have had for a very long time. Uh, so I think no matter who starts at the three, we can be you know assured that it's gonna be a well thought out decision and there's gonna be a, a plan for. It. That's that's a probably a really good final point there, Max. Is uh, you know I am obviously biased with my my love for Igor, but. You know, I'm certainly not as worried as say I was with Earl Watson with ten days before the regular season starting, deciding that Josh and TJ were going to start together, and and didn't <laughs> didn't really seem to uh, David, be a thing. David, he had Josh Jackson guard Blake Griffin in like the what was it like the second game of the season? Yeah, uh, the oh more I God. think about it, the the less surprise I am that he got fired three games into an NBA season. Max, they had to. It, they yeah. had to. So yeah, Igor's definitely not going to, uh, you know, go in with that little preparation for these guys. I think you know he will essentially make his decision in training camp, and they will uh, get many, many repetitions into making sure that it's maximized to its fullest uh, come game one. And the last thing I'll say on that, and then we can go on to seven seconds or less, is that people probably think we sound like giant homers talking about Igor the way we talk about him. The, the the views on him are raving around the league. Uh, the, the Dunked On podcast, which trashes the Suns pretty regularly and did again in their offseason grades. Actually, the one thing they praised pretty heavily was the, the Igor hiring, which apparently people all around the league are, are plotting the Suns for. So no matter how you feel about 8 versus Dungeons, no matter how you feel about the Mikhail trade, I think I think uh, Suns fans can unanimously feel, feel good about Igor. I'm, I'm still calling him the biggest, best move for the Suns. Uh, this summer, so uh, and that includes getting the number one pick, uh, drafting Aiton, uh, signing Ariza. Uh, I think it's still all eclipsed by uh, bringing in a, a very competent head coach and, and someone that I'm tying myself to, and um, you know hopefully makes me look good in in three seasons time with a, a massive extension for the Suns. Serbian Brad Stevens, yeah. If, if he sucks, you have to delete your Twitter account. You know that, right? I just have to stop following or covering the Suns, I think. <laughs> sort of like, uh, like me with Luca and, and Jaron Jackson. All right, let's go on to seven seconds or less. Uh, seven seconds or less, for those of you who are new listeners, is the segment where one of us asks the other one three questions for which the other has not prepared and for which the other only has seven seconds or less to respond, except for we never actually follow that rule. David, are you ready? <laughs> I am ready, Max. Okay, I think this is going to be a fun one. I, I'm proud of this one, so... It's going to be the same thing. We're talking about the same guys, so it's not going to be hard for you to shift gears here. 
three skills. Okay, the, the three skills are going to be are going to be the center of the, of this of this discussion here. And the three skills are Mikel Bridges' shooting ability, mm-hmm. Josh Jackson's sort of overall athleticism slash coordination slash physical ability for his size thing. You know that whole thing. The reason why Josh Jackson is Josh Jackson. And then T.J. Warren's just unreal finishing, you know, ability around the basket. The thing that T.J. Warren does the best. So basically the three guys' best skills, right? I'm with you. Question number one. You are able to copy one of those skills from one of those guys and give it to one of the other ones. You're not taking it away. You're just copying it. Which of those skills do you take from which one and to whom do you give it to? I'm giving Bridges shooting to Josh Jackson. Okay, I think that's a pretty that's a pretty good answer, and that's what I expect you to say, and that's what I would have said. Yeah, I'll just stick. I'll extend on that real quick because I feel like we've robbed Josh a little bit in this episode of not focusing on him too much. But uh, you know, I'm still a very firm believer in Josh Jackson as a player. I think as he bulks out and you know gets a, a more NBA ready body for the position that he's going to be asked to play, and if he can add a shot that's anywhere near as effective as Mikhail Bridges looks to be, uh, I think he could still live up to where he was picked in the draft. I agree, and a- another point that I'll make on Josh is that there's, by all accounts, that dude is just the hardest of workers. He's a fiery personality. He's going, he's not going to fail unless he's just destined to fail. That guy will succeed if there's a chance. Yeah, totally agree. Okay, so here's question two, and this is harder. This time you don't get to copy one skill from one of the others and give it to the other. You have to take it away from the person and give it to one of the others. Okay. Um, give me TJ Warren's finishing and give it to Josh. Yep, that was going to be my answer too. I think that's the right answer. Which I think will come, as I alluded to, with Josh filling out and being able to absorb contact, and that's where he's going to become extremely effective as an NBA player, and we'll see him start uh, attacking you know, guys challenging him at the rim a little bit more and kind of yakking in guys' faces. Yeah, so I, so I agree with you to an extent. I don't think it's going to come in terms of, I don't think he's ever going to have TJ Warren's like crazy weird touch thing, because you don't like just get that. But yeah. I do agree that he's going to be a lot more effective at going to the rim just because he's going to draw just a ton of fouls. Yep. Uh, he just he needs just... to improve his free throw percentage, obviously. But if he does that, it's going to be, you know, he's going to live at the line. Yep. Repetition, repetition, repetition. Okay, so for this last question, we're going to change Mikel's shooting to his, like, defensive versatility stuff, okay? Okay. All right, so now we're taking one of these three skills, Mikel's defensive versatility, JJ's athleticism, TJ's finishing, and you get to give one of those things to Devin Booker. Which one do you give him? Ooh, definitely Mikhail's defensive versatility, I think. I'm a little cautious here because I thought Josh Jackson was going to bring real NBA-ready defensive versatility straight away, but uh, I'm very much bought into what Bridges is going to be able to do there from hopefully day one. And that inside Devin Booker's body and inside what Devin Booker can currently do on the other end, you've got a pretty surefire, you know, top five, top three NBA player, I reckon. Yeah, I think that's my answer too, but I, I was very tempted to give to give Devin Booker Josh Jackson athleticism. <laughs> yeah, I you know, I I think Devin's sneaky athletic. You know, I think I was you know, I tweeted out recently, I was looking through his kind of draft combine stuff admittedly a lot of guys didn't actually test but you know he was he topped the the class in kind of uh the agility test and some speed tests and you know we occasionally see him get up for you know that 
I remember that is that left-handed dunk that I remember that didn't actually end up counting. I think it was maybe on Marcus Um mm, Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. he's never going to have Josh's athleticism for sure. But you know, with how much I'm seeing him work this off-season as well, and how much we know he just works overall, I, I wouldn't be totally surprised if we see a you know even more athletic Devin Booker this year. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that, and that's why ultimately I wouldn't, I wouldn't take JJ's athleticism, give it to him because I think you're right that Mikhail's defensive versatility is, is just something that he doesn't have, and you could just kill, just give it to him. But at the same time, I the, before the first game of summer league, I know you watched on TV, but if you were there, all Josh Jackson did was just do insane, like between the legs, 360 dunks for like 15 straight straight possessions. So like, Devin <laughs> <laughs> Booker's not doing that. So I think that that'd be kind of fun if you give that to him. Yep, that was fun. Cool. Uh, I think that's it for us. Uh, you can follow me at MaxMCC11 on Twitter. You can follow David at The Four Point Play on Twitter. And you can follow our podcast at 7SOLPod on Twitter. David, thank you so much for joining me on this. This was fun. This was really fun and uh, looking forward to, to diving into some of the other ones and with some guests, as you alluded to, in the future. Thanks, guys.